This is a Burn FM podcast. Go. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Politics For You. This week, it's just Talia and I, and we're going to be discussing feminism, an issue which is very key to Talia's heart and one that I've taken a recent interest to. So first, I thought we'd introduce the topic and talk about why we decided to talk about it this week. So Talia, what, why is feminism important to you and why do you want to talk about it to our listeners today? I think feminism is something that sometimes gets brushed over in society and people have negative connotations about. In reality, feminism just means equality for men and women. It doesn't mean women should be better than men, um, even though some people perceive this as that. It's a very topical issue um, in the media with, um, in the last few years with with, um, looking at the gender pay gap, the Me Too movement and um, other things along that line. I think for me, feminism is important because as women, sometimes in the workplace, and in society, we have a disadvantage. For example, walking around my uni town, it's unsafe for girls to walk around past 6 p.m. when it's dark. Something for boys, which would never be thought of as being unsafe to walk around at that early of a time. And for example, it's important because we have to teach the younger generations to embody the ideals of equality. I think for me, it's important to do a whole episode on it Um, so that we can really get to the root of the ideas on it. I'm sure um, our listeners know what feminism is, but I think um, looking at it even more deeply will be beneficial. Yeah, I think quite the general public do do know the ideas of feminism and will have some notion of what it is, but whether that that notion is really true to its ideals, I think um, is probably not so true, because I think it's quite distorted. In terms of any, think of like, Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of people have a negative view of that because of like, the extremists within that camp. And I think the extremists of any camp kind of distorts the image of that. So I think the same probably with feminism and people might associate feminism more radical feminism, which we'll go on to discuss and you know, that's an issue. And for me, I think it's not an issue that I've really looked into and being a woman hasn't really affected my life. So kind of something that's just been in the background, but having to do this podcast on, on feminism this week, I've started to look into it and it kind of, it, it, it helps shape my view of society and kind of adds another dimension to it, which wasn't existing previously. So I found it very interesting and changed the way I think about things. So that's always good. Yeah, okay. So should we start with um, the core idea of patriarchy? So, um, so patriarchy is a system of society um, where men are dominant and the society is working in the interests of men. This means better pay for men, better job opportunities for men, and overall a better educational system for men. So, can I just question the better educational system? I don't know. There's um, more women uh, participate in higher education than men. So, I really don't think the edu- and women generally do better on exams. So, I really don't think the education system is geared towards men, at least not now anymore. Well, yeah, we can say now that it's become more equal, but for example, um, maybe 50 years ago, women would get taught home economics instead of history and geography, so that portrays a less opportunity. We can see somewhere like England, a, um, a first world country, that um, there's equal opportunities for education for men and women, but somewhere like Afghanistan, there wouldn't be. So I think it's just relative to the country that you're in. Mm. I think- Did you not think those countries have bigger issues, though, than uh, lack of equal rights for women? 
Well, I think obviously there are other big issues in those countries, but at the end of the day, education is a core issue to those countries because without equal education, it means um, not equal opportunities and not equality. And country can't be, a, for me personally, I don't think a country can be literally recording a podcast. A country can't be, but thank you. A country can't be, okay, wait, let me just, I'll cut this bit. So let me just start again. Um, for me, I do understand that there are bigger issues um, in these countries, obviously, I'm not naive, but we have to make sure that um, education in these countries is equal. Otherwise that leads to unequal job opportunities which will lead to other big issues. And yes, you're saying like they have big issues in this country, for example, like you could say in Afghanistan, like homegrown terrorism, but if you don't, oh fuck. No, your point was good, but. Oh, I just don't say like feminist movement is gonna take hold in terms of That's more my point. Say, say your point again and I'll rebuttal it, but just say your point again and I'll call that bit out. Do you know what I'm saying? No, just when you're saying it. Say it again. Say it again. But as in, there's a recording of me. Okay. Do you not think in like those kind of countries that um kind of I guess the feminist movement wouldn't be such a big thing because there are bigger like issues there, and so that that would be sidelined, you know, dramatically by, by other issues. But I don't see the relevance of that point because you're saying that education for men might be what might be worse. Yes, you can say that in first world countries actually I don't think you can say that at all I don't think education for men is worse women might do better in exams and might do better in higher education it doesn't mean they have more opportunities it just means that they're that they're leveling to the same opportunities as men in first world countries but there's so many facts and and you can show by Malala in third world countries women didn't have equal opportunities women were desperate for education and are desperate for education to this day so I really don't think that that point's too too relevant for many countries around the world um, yeah, obviously it's important to have equal educational rights, and I'm not saying that. Um, and then in terms of in this country, it's, I'm trying to say that the uh, regardless of the point I brought out about other countries, but in the UK, you say there's the patriarchy, like society, wherever, like a systemic oppression maybe. But if the education system isn't, I mean, like what isn't geared towards you know men over women. And if you're talking about employment, employment would, wouldn't be through the government either. So is there any form of like, you know, for example, the police force, you, you could argue there's systemic racism in terms of, and that's a government entity in terms of um, searching more black people than white people. Would you say there's a, a systemic sexism by the state in any, or, or any state entity? I wouldn't say now that they're systemic, I would say black. 40, 50 years ago, they're 100% worse. Um, for example, um, the notion that, um, the notion that um, marital rape was not made a crime until the 1970s shows the patriarchy and the male dominated society because men were in charge of the government mostly. There weren't many women in the government and this shows that they didn't, hold this to be a large issue till the 1970s which shows the issue of our country yes now there is more equality for women i wouldn't say we're at true equality as shown by the gender pay gap and rights for women um in Wait, go on. rights for women where like, what legally i didn't finish my sentence 
Um, wait, I'll cut that bit, not right to a moment. I just meant in the gender, I just meant in the gender pay gap. It's inevitable that if a country's not based on equality, we've seen by the suffragettes and suffragettes, which for our viewers who don't know, those are people that fought for women to have the right to vote. Um, um, and um, they made a large impact for women in society. I don't think, I don't think the country can ever be truly equal if our country, the UK, was built on women not having the right to vote from the beginning. I don't think we can ever, I don't think we can ever reach. Why can't countries change? There's then issues that, you know, that yes, I was an issue like, you know, almost about a hundred years ago. Um, I don't know the dates exactly, but uh, nowadays, like just because we had that issue then, you can reverse that issue. And, and so inequality then could eventually become equality now. I don't think just because there was previous inequality doesn't mean we're destined to have inequality. Because if so, then what's the point of the movement if it's destined to fail? I don't think it's destined to fail. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I think there will always be disparity and inequality between men and women, even if it's just a little bit now in society. I do think a country built on those ideals will um, always have something. I'm saying, yes, we're reaching some sort of equality right now. I'd say men and women uh, um, in this day and age um, are closer to full equality than ever before, but I still think there's a disparity and a gap, which so, will be difficult to close. Yes, one day it will close, but it needs okay. more time. Fine, so um, you're saying it will close then, because I think at first you were saying it would, it would be impossible to do so, but okay. No, I, I think one point. day it will close, but with more hard work from the government and from people. For example, another interesting, another interesting point um, to look at about how um, masculinity and um, the idea of men dominating society is that Margaret Thatcher, when she... Um, ran there's many points that she got elected because she had a masculine persona it's how she spoke and she dressed she wasn't like a feminine woman and for example many people voted for her because they felt um they felt that she was strong like a man and for example in contrast Hillary Clinton there's many points say people didn't vote for her because she was seen as shrill um and she got the name shrillery um and this is the idea of um, the institutionalized patriarchy. Here we're looking at America. And this is the idea that, yes, it might not have been so prominent as other forms of um, inequality for women, for example, the vote, it's more subdued, but it was part of the reason why she didn't get voting. This dominance leads to behaviors and requirements which reinforces inequality, which further leads to limited options for women. Yes, nowadays there's more options for women. I'm not going to deny that. There is less inequality um, when we're talking about the UK, when we're talking about third world countries, no, women aren't equal in the slightest. It's absolutely abhorrent. They do not have equal opportunities in education, in jobs, in the slightest, in many third world countries. For example, countries like Pakistan, Syria, countries like that, and countries in Africa where women are getting sold. Um, and this conditioning um, of women um, to just accept their state of affairs is a true structural issue because many women just are brought up this way, brought up this way by their families, even have institutionalized patriarchy within their families, the, the fathers and sons and men in their families telling them they're not worth equality. So I think that's an issue like that's important to look at. Yeah, I do think it's in certain countries it's getting better though, thankfully, such as Saudi Arabia, um, women are now allowed to drive 
they're allowed to leave the house without a man's permission. So there are small steps going taken, but yeah, a lot of steps yeah, to be def- taken. Definitely in so. the example of Saudi Arabia, small steps, but it, the fact that um, women weren't allowed to drive till really recently is absolutely <laughs> disgusting. And it's, it's, people see feminism as a radical movement in some sense, but it's literally, obviously there are some sects which are more radical than another, that's the same in all movements, but um, the fact that women weren't allowed to drive till recently in Saudi Arabia is like, I mean, I know it's a small step allowing them to drive now and it's a small step for the country, but for me, like the fact that it was even allowed to happen is absolutely uh, abhorrent. So um, James, would you like to add anything about patriarchal? Should we move on to the next topic? I'm good. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to cut out so much. Um, okay, right. Should we move on to the next idea of intersectionality? So, intersectionality um, is the notion that life is more complex than one than one than one issue. Like, for example, some issues that face black women and white women are fundamentally fundamentally different, need to be treated differently. So. Intersectionality is looking at the fact that there's a wide range of issues facing women around the world. For example, we might see feminism as one movement and many feminists do see it as one movement, but others see it as something that needs to be divided up because uh, women have different experiences. For example, um, a white middle-class woman from London will inevitably have a different experience than a black lower-class woman from Brooklyn and New York. So you can't, you can't deal with their issues head on in the same way as they're living completely different experiences. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to add intersectionality isn't just for feminism, it's just the idea that different types of inequalities can overlap each other. And they're yeah, obviously of kind of, of pile up in the idea that you can't just add them, like, and it's, the whole is more than the sum of the parts, like due to the relationship, the interaction between the two, it kind of creates a, a different, it molds into a different kind of form of inequality than just the two separately put together. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so that we can, because we prefer to allot the different sex, um, so this is like the different groups, um, let's talk about um, the different notions within, within intersectionality. So um, I'm going to start with the postmodern feminists. Um, they believe in intersectionality and affirmative action. So they believe fully in the idea that you need to deal with the issues of women in different ways. Although feminism is an important movement and they truly still believe in feminism, of course, they think that we need to divide it up. So so it's sort of the notion of divide and conquer to make sure that um, each type of woman is getting their experience listened to and dealt with head on. Um, we can then move on to liberal feminists. Yeah, but postmodern. I mean, it's also just interesting. We should not just talk about them in terms of intersectionality, but just their kind of what, what, what's the difference between, for example, a postmodern feminist and a liberal feminist. I think what's quite interesting about postmodern feminists, at least, uh, is that they believe that gender is generated through discourse and society. So, which I think would be um, fit, which would fit very well with the psychological literature on gender. You know, there's sex, there's biological, genders, psychological, hence someone's transgender when their sex and gender doesn't match up. And so the ideas of gender and what we attribute to different genders is definitely generated through discourse in society, through talk, 
and to how what cult, what your culture kind of puts your culture groups towards one gender. So I think the so the idea of so of a woman of women and and what and the attributes women are given is very much from society. And so as in think let me tell you no more. I think they they'd want to kind of reverse what we what we agree is. So we know there's a woman, but what we attribute to that woman is we need, we want to change that. We don't want them to be disadvantaged from men. They have maybe different traits to men, but no less equal traits. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so when we look at liberal feminists, um, as James has spoken about a bit, um, we can talk about the notion that they prefer the feminist movement to be united and fight for common rights rather than break down into different movements and groups. Some feminists do see this in this way, that when you um, break it down, it, it causes more um, causes more disarray rather than just staying in one group would be the best thing they believe. Um, and they, they're liberal. So liberal feminists at the end of the day, um, they believe in equal political and legal rights as well as opportunities. For um, liberal feminists, um, their main thing is all about giving women the equal rights and then from that women can do what they want with that. They're not so there for like affirmative action and giving women extra, they're more just giving them the equal rights to men and then um, letting them have their own choice um, of what they do with those rights. But for them, it's important that women have those rights, um, which is what they stem from. Um, some liberal feminists have argued that this focus on true equality and giving women space to make their own choices enables diversity of sections to be explored rather than simply define what femininity should be concerned about. So some do agree that they can define, that some do like side more with postmoderns, that each can decide what they want. Obviously within each sex it's massive, so we can't just say liberal feminists all believe in this, socialist feminists all believe in this. And wouldn't liberal feminists then have their demands already met, as in they have the same legal rights, maybe they don't have it's not quite equal opportunity yet at the moment, I'd say, but it's definitely legally they have all the rights to do things. So isn't there major demand then already been met? Yeah, in the sense of rights, um, liberal feminists would be happy with that. In terms of um, equal opportunity, you're right, there's still more to be done. So I think that's what they would focus on now, now that, well, we'll just speak in the context of the UK because it's easier than talking about different yeah. But in the context of the UK, yes, they would mostly be happy right now. Um, moving on to socialist feminism, they fundamentally disagree with the argument about intersectionality because they believe that women um, experience um, different forms of oppression based on class and race. But although they believe in this, they still think that women need to be united to overcome this incredible strong enemy. When we look at socialist feminists, it's important to realise that they their common enemy, enemy is always capitalism. Whenever we think about socialist feminism, we always relate it back to capitalism. This is the main idea that they see capitalism as the common enemy. So yes, they do agree, they do disagree with the argument about intersectionality, but their main notion will never be disagreeing with something. It will always be against capitalism. Um, so they also see intersectionality as a distraction, um, which undermines the fight for equality. Um, because they believe like this division will like um, cause um, a focus away from class struggle, um, something that they think needs to be prioritised. Um, 
they always think the class struggle needs to be prioritised as looking at a way to um, abolish the evil of capitalism. Yeah, I think it's important to know that they see the patriarchy and capitalism intrinsically interlinked. So you can't have capitalism without inequality, without the patriarchy. So in order to remove the inequality, um, you, you must remove capitalism itself. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then we have radical feminists, which James, do you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, so most of them um, they oppose a patriarchal society, but they say that because I guess of how entrenched it is and how long the oppressions go on, the only way of doing so is introducing a matriarchal one. So I think, as yeah, it's quite an extremist view to so to so a society dominated by women and that would suit women's interests more. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's an extremist view as such. I would say that it so, it sort of goes against the um, fact of what feminism stands for, which is equality for men and women. Um, which That's is why they're called radicals. <laughs> yeah. So if they wanted a matriarchy, um, it would be um, it would be going against having equality for men and women, as women would be the only ones dominating. But to be fair to them, which I'm not a radical feminist, um, but to be fair to them, um, if this was written, if this was a concept years ago, that would have been when it was just men dominating society, which men wouldn't have seen as extreme. But now that now that they're saying women want to dominate society, it's seen as extreme. So there's a double standard which has to be thought about as such. For example, a hundred years ago, when men dominated society and women didn't have opportunities, women didn't even have the vote. Um, um, a hundred ish years ago, I'm not sure the exact numbers. Sorry, viewers. Um, but um, they, like men, wouldn't have seen it as extreme. They would have just seen it as a status quo. So, although yes, nowadays having only women dominate society would be a bit extreme, as we're fighting for equality, um, is a double standard as such, which I don't think we can forget uh, personally. Well, it's just hypocritical, it's, uh, just because you are oppressed and I guess the, the idea of revenge and whatever, it's only fair but to then you know, suggest another form of oppression just for a different group. Yeah, but I think a lot of... Equality movement. Is... I do think a lot of radical feminists do, um, do play into the idea of a vengeance and... Um, a lot of them, I would say, probably do want women to have more rights than men in society. And they are, radical feminists are a big reason why the feminist movement has such a bad name among people that don't know a lot about it. Because when we read the news, we just see, we just see about radical feminists, we don't see about liberal feminists or postmodern. Um, so, yeah. And in terms of intersectionality, Talia, what's their view? In terms of intersectionality, what a radical feminist view? Yeah. Um, in terms of intersectionality, radical feminists. Um, one second. One sec. Wait, where did it go? It's at the bottom of the document. They they agree that women. Didn't we just? Didn't you just speak about that? Or did you not? Didn't you? No, we didn't. Oh, okay. Um. They agree that women can have different experiences, so they're not delegitimizing that. But they um, do, however, argue that while the personal circumstances of women can be different, the experience of being a woman is common regardless of background. So they see 
um, um, they see fit doing everything together and being a common um, a common unit and um, fighting um, inequality head on together, despite the fact that women have different experiences or even very, very completely different experiences in some cases. So, oh, so I think we'll talk about. Yeah, go. On. <laughs> yeah, cool. So I think we'll talk about one kind of main topic within feminism, at least today, in terms of dis discrimination towards women, which is the gender pay gap. Yes. So Definitely. in so the UK in 2020. No, I'm just going to say, do you want to start? But you already started, so go on. Yeah. So in the UK in 2020, according to the ONS, the median full-time earnings for men is 7% higher for women than women. However, this is Wait, can you just repeat that sentence? dramatically Wait. better. James, James, just repeat that sentence because it sounded like you said for, for, it sounded like you said something wrong. Just repeat that sentence. Yeah. So according to the ONS, the median full-time earnings for men seven percent higher than for women in 2020 which is dramatically better than 22 percent difference in 1997. so seven percent doesn't seem like that high but that's only for full-time earnings so if you include part-time earnings that figure becomes 15.5 percent so i think we can all agree that's quite a large figure so it's clear to see that the gender pay gap exists okay so no need there's no argument it exists there's facts okay so now we take into like why that is I think it's also separate to the fact that men are 93% uh, of men were employed in August 2020, whereas 69% of women. So clearly, more men are employed. So more men are employed, and the men that are employed get paid better. So we can see that employment and income definitely favours men. Is that a general? So statistic? one of the reasons. I was just going to um, come in and ask: Is that a general statistic, or is that in a specific workplace? No, it's the ONS, the, the, the Office for National Statistics from the annual survey of house and earnings. We're going to cut this bit because I sound stupid. Okay, go on. <laughs> okay, so, so, there's a few, so one main reason for that is higher earning jobs have traditionally been associated with longer hours, which meant less, they were less accessible to women. Because uh, even in 2019, a study shows that gender norms of domestic work is still the same. So women are more likely to, you know, care for the children, do the cleaning, cooking, whatever. You, and so they're less likely to go to work longer hours than men. And the high earning jobs, they kind of, they, they model of what the ideal worker is, is someone that does long hours. And that just doesn't fit with, the, with a lot of women. So these women, they cannot get these jobs and these jobs earn a lot more. So obviously men, then there's consequence of that. So men do earn more than women. So could we say, although there is now equal rights for women in society, um, that in some cases um, there's still some notion of inequality, for example, in, um, in the workplace there are some jobs that women would be deterred to take because um, they don't fit the ideals of being a woman as such, which um, many women still are scared to move out of the ideals of being a woman and do what they want to do. Yeah. Definitely, based on historic norms, for sure. And then a lot of these jobs, you know, would have 
you know, they would have modeled their workers years and years ago when women heavily from societies have been pressured to stay at home. And they haven't changed their idea of what an ideal worker is. It's still suited for men. So these, uh, whether these companies are knowledgeable of this, probably not. But just because of their standards and what they want from workers doesn't fit with the average, what, because of what society put um, the discourse around women in terms of being, uh, being more domesticated than men. I mean, these, these jobs are less accessible to women. They have, there's no legal framework stopping them from applying. It's just because of what they want, women are less likely to be suited. So that obviously causes this disparity. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and the studies show that if men work more than um, 60 hours a, a, a week, then they're less likely, than the, the women is less likely to take on long hours. So therefore, meaning they're even more inaccessible. As soon as your man, as soon as the husband is, or these days, the man um, who uh, is working longer hours, women's obviously less likely to do so because someone needs to be home for the kids. Fine, you can pay someone to do it, but that's not so nice. So it's much better to have one of the parents at home. And the IFS has shown that for graduates, there's been no decrease in the wage gap. Um, and this is, even though the wage gap has decreased, I've showed you from 7%, 22% even to 7%, but there's been no decrease for graduates because graduates are the ones that are gonna go for these high earning jobs. But because of the long hours associated and other factors that in particular, women don't go for those jobs. So therefore the wage gap has not decreased. So that's definitely an issue. Yeah, 100%, yeah. Um, the IFS also shows that women's wages a third less, so 33% less by the time their first child reaches 20. This does reflect labour market experience as women would have spent on average 10 years less in full-time work, which is defined as any job more than 25 hours a week. This is because a lot of, a lot of women will go into part-time work in order to be able to be at home and to have more time with the children and to raise them up. And issue of part-time work and wages is Part-time work has a negligible wage increase compared to full-time work, which has a 3% increase per, per year when you complete GCSEs and a 6% increase when you have a degree. So this means that graduate women would normally be earning 6% more, 6% more every year. As soon as they go into part-time work, they don't they basically don't earn any more every year. Whereas the men, they're still earning 6% more, 6% more, 6% more. And so if they're missing 10 years of full-time work, that is a lot of an increase they're missing on their wage, which means that men end up earning more than women because of the increased time in the labor market. However, this gap isn't just because of gap in the wage in the, so this gap doesn't just exist because they have had 10 years less experience in full-time jobs. A quarter of this gap exists before they have the, a woman has children, a, ch a child. So a quarter is already accounted for, and half and half is explained by the, the labour market experience gap. But other reasons also explains the rest. So it's not just that there is some element of the side the labour market experience that is causing this. And studies have showed that men find it harder to ask for part-time work than women. So this could be part of the reason that men are less likely to go into part-time work because they find it harder to do so. 
be interesting to speculate why that is. Yeah. So therefore, women will disproportionately fill up more part-time work, which is associated with less increase in wages. That would also help show the disparity in wages. So, okay, this, so you know, just a bit of a recap, because I think we spoke quite a bit, but basically, in terms of wh why is there a wage gap? So we've got longer hour working jobs are less accessible to women, they're higher, work, they're higher in pay. Women are more likely to do part-time work. Part-time work has a negligible wage increase compared to full-time work. Therefore, men that don't do part-time work, which is disproportionately less men than women, have their wages going up and up and up, and women don't have their wages going up, they stagnate, therefore men earn more than women. But it's not just that, um, because there are obviously gender stereotypes in society, which mean that certain jobs appear less accessible to women. And these stereotypes start from a very young age. So a study commissioned by Michael Page demonstrated that these appear even during primary school, where they ask children about, who would you see a man or a woman in this job? And four out of five children said that banking is a man's job and nursing is a woman's job. So it's clear that children, even from a very young age, have notions of, sorry, which gender is associated with which job. And it happens to be that the, the jobs that have higher paid are associated with men. And good. Yeah, sorry, go on. No, sorry. Um, and it's important to note that you don't get like born with these assumptions. This is shaped by your society and the culture that you live in. Um, which says a lot about our society that even from such a young age, um, that is something that is spoken about. And it's quite a concern. It's also, for example, the idea, the idea of the colours of pink and blue. Blue used to actually be a colour for girls and pink used to be a colour for boys. And really? then, yeah, um, we learned about this in school. And then um, society decided that that was the wrong way around and then it changed it's all the way when something's done if it has enough influence behind it the perceptions will be changed and also I think it's important to note that um which is obviously something that can't that can't really be helped in many ways but um except better uh, ability to work from home which is something that we've learned from the coronavirus pandemic so um for example women when they have children inevitably have to take a longer maternity leave than men taking a paternity leave. Um, and um, I think when that happens, um, a lot of companies are very good in ensuring that they have a long maternity leave and there's no issues with it. But I think um, more can be done to enable working from home and um, better opportunities from it, which I think is something that we've learned this year in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would definitely change. And I think more companies will be more, will make it more accessible to work at home. Yeah. But yeah, some very interesting points. Um, but yeah, the point about the primary school is very interesting to look at. Yeah. And I think, I think part of that reason is that different attributes associated with different genders and of what the postmodern feminists, how genders is, is generated by discourse in society. So for example, women are assumed to be much more caring than men, much more in touch with their feelings and emotions. So therefore, they're more likely to go into social care, for example, because they, when they've been told that those are the attributes that, that would suit them. Whereas men, I think, would be more associated with all men about the law, about tough, about justice. So therefore, more likely to become a lawyer or go into the police force, etc. 
and more attractive, certainly for lawyers associated much more higher pay. And we just repeat uh, that sentence because it cut on my computer and it, yeah. it didn't come out. So, so for women like being associated with like caring and emotions, more likely to go, for example, into social care because of what they've been told in, in discourse compared to men who they might have been told a bit more about fairness, justice, about strength, it's more likely to become a lawyer, which is associated with obviously higher pay. Yeah. And I think, and historically, the jobs of higher pay are the ones with educate with a longer education and because men are, you know historically had more rights to go into education and went in, in, into education for longer they were able to get those jobs so by the time we skip to now when yes women can go into education just as equally as men but because that stereotype of, of a man having those jobs kind of was there it's still endured today so that means that these jobs are still associated with men and these jobs also have longer hours coincidentally which i just spoke about earlier also kind of puts off women yeah I mean, definitely. because of the idea that the woman has to be the primary caregiver but you know i, I mean we need to question this notion like does a woman is this scientifically accurate or is this just a sexist view based on from historic norms so being a psychologist i think i want to answer that question <laughs> so um, a psychologist called bowlby he did extensive research on behalf of the World Health Organization in the 1950s. And he developed his idea called monotropy and also the maternal deprivation hypothesis. So basically the idea that every person is born of an innate drive for an attachment. Um, and this attachment is for the mother and, and this attachment for the mother is very important in their development. That's where the maternal deprivation hypothesis comes in. So when they don't have time with their mother when they're deprived of 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 care which they had uh, they have negative outcomes associated with the child in later life so the more time spent away from the mother the worse the child comes out so this obviously puts a lot of pressure on the mother because according to this scientific theory you need to spend time with your children so how can you work you can't because your child is going to come out worse off so this obviously puts pressure then to be a part-time job or not to work at all however later on uh, further research came out. So Schaff and Emerson did a study in the 60s and showed the majority of time the primary caregiver was the mother, which is kind of no surprise, um, societal norms. But obviously, there was a minority case in which the father was the primary caregiver. And a field in 1978 showed the fathers could easily be the, the primary caregiver when they adopt similar behaviours as a primary caregiver mother. And children didn't come out any worse off when they had the father as the primary caregiver or the, or the mother. It was more the behavior. There was no biological reason why the mother or father had to be the caregiver, but rather what their behavior did, and that's what impacted the children. So it's really important. So it's not that the mother has to be the primary caregiver, has to be at home or the kids. No, the father could take that role easily just as well. As long as, as, long as they're doing the right behaviors to help development, then child will develop properly. And we so have we, what? I was going to say there's lots of different types of families in society like um, um, families of two dads or two moms or um, mom, stepdad, stepmom and then I think it's just about the notion of having um, parents um, yeah. kind and caring and 
give you that warmth. I don't think the biology of that matters. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and that's what the research shows. It's very much not. Yeah, it doesn't matter what gender, what sex they are. It just matters how they interact with their children, and that's what matters most. So, so that women don't need to be a primary caregiver. They can take those jobs, but I think it will work. Take it's a long process for kind of that deep entrenched idea in society to erode away. Yeah. So, um, we'll sum up this um episode, um, by talking a little about the idea has society developed or are we still stuck stuck in a very healthy structure so i'll start with the fact that i do think society has developed um inevitably from the days when women didn't have the right to vote women didn't have um any like any equality any rights um and they were basically being chaperoned around by men um Obviously now, um, in in a sense, yes, there is equality in society, and yes, I would agree with that completely. But um, I do think there's still some like underlying, as we've spoken about in this episode, some underlying societal norms and traditions, um, um, which plays into the patriarchy, not a, a bit more subtly, not as um, not as easily seen as. Um, back in a few back 50 or 100 years ago when there was explicitly shown women didn't have rights now it's a bit more subtly shown um it's a bit more difficult now for women not to get a job because they are a woman but there might be other ways that inequality is shown for example the gender pay gap and then um, companies justifying this by women working more part-time but obviously we know the reasons for that is because of traditions and norms in society um i would say people like there are many um people on society for example donald trump who brought to the limelight um the notion that sexism is still alive and thriving in america as many agreed with him and voted for him which um shows that they don't have an issue of his comments where he said grab them by the pussy and the fact that he said that he would date his daughter if she wasn't if he was if she um if his daughter wasn't his daughter trump has shown the worst in society about sexism in in a modern context um and i think that society i wouldn't say that we are back where we were 100 years ago but i would still say that there's an unhealthy structure and that there's so much more that can be done um for women but i would say on a more positive note so much has been done um for equality the feminist movement has through the Me Too movement and different marches and rallies and um, different um, political political work and lobbying has done so much for women in society and given women um, equal opportunities. For example, I'm at university studying politics and social policy. A hundred years ago, that would have been totally not right and would have been seen as um, me going off the rails. For example, now it's just the norm for girls to go to university so um in that sense and in many other ways i do think that there's been such an increase in equality and feminism and i think we are moving towards um a truly equal society hopefully in the next few years yeah i think well, i wouldn't say the next few years it's very optimistic but i definitely am moving in the right direction and uh, i think more equality now is not 
necessarily an institutional fight against the government or the laws need to change because you know the equal pay act has you know existed for over 40 years now and so these ideas are, are statute and this is more that we need to society kind of needs to change their discourse and change their ideas and em employers need to be a bit more kind of open to what different ways of, of having example um you know potentially part-time work increasing in pay and but that's a wider issue what or in terms of making it more accessible to women to do full-time work make sure women are more knowledgeable and um, and also men so there's less pressure on women to to take on part-time work so that's where kind of the next kind of battle lies more in society more in discourse and in culture rather than through laws but definitely a lot of progress has been made i'm sure it will probably do the same yeah Thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode and we will see you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.